This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton and adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everything that I've done since I've been on this ship would have been impossible without you. I've failed to let you know that. I always knew it. I failed to tell you. I apologize. Here we go, week four of season three of Star Trek Discovery. We're here to talk about the latest episode, Forget Me Not. So be warned of spoilers. If you haven't seen that episode, we're going to get right into it. I'm Dan Gunther. This is Positively Trek. With me, as he is every week, of course, is the wonderful Bruce Gibson. Bruce, how are you doing today? I'm wonderful. You already stated how I am. So, (laughs) I mean, I feel wonderful. Actually... It's been kind of an interesting week, you know, as we record this. We still are going through this presidential election thing, and everything is always too close to call. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah. So for the record, for people listening, we're recording this on Saturday morning. So uh, as it stands now, yeah, we still don't know. I mean, we know, but we still don't know <laughs> <laughs> officially. But... Uh, I feel like we need to bring another voice in here to talk about this episode because there's a lot in this episode and we're going to try and spread it around as far as what we're discussing. So let's bring in, uh, I'm I'm going to say famed Star Trek YouTuber. Ket Walski. Ket Walski, welcome to Positively Trek. Oh, famed Star Trek YouTuber. I think you're giving me more credit than I deserve, but I love the intro. Thank you. Thank you so much. I am positively excited to be here boom i'm sure you guys haven't heard that one before so love it oh good branding good branding that's right yeah yeah really excited to to talk about uh trek star trek discovery and specifically this episode great episode and i'm i can't wait for us to deep dive into it i i definitely am pumped for it awesome well i i say famed youtuber i think in some corners maybe infamous youtuber but we're going to get to that in our next episode. We're going to deep dive into you with your whole YouTube <laughs> yeah. thing. And, and we'll talk about some of that. I think you kind of know what I'm going to be asking I, you about. I, I, I have an inkling of an idea. Yeah, I mean, some people think that uh, 
you know, I'm really great. And some people think that, uh, you know, I'm not so great. <laughs> I think that's probably the best way to put that. So, but, uh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we will talk about that. We, had, but, we should uh, have an election on the decision if we think you're great or not. Well, I think it's just going to be too close to call. Just perpetually too close to call. Yeah. Awesome. But yeah, so if you want to hear that discussion, stay tuned for our next episode. We'll deep dive into that. But for now, let's talk about Forget Me Not because uh, now... Before I started recording, before I joined you guys this morning, I did watch a few minutes of your video review, Ketwalski, of this Mm -hmm. episode. And I have to say, we're kind of aligned on our feelings because it seems like you overwhelmingly really enjoyed this one. I did. I kind of really like, I tried not to get too crazy because I had this issue when I was reviewing Lower Decks where every episode was like my quote unquote new favorite because it just continued to get better and better. Uh, which is, you know, great for that show. So Discovery's always been kind of a mixed bag, I think, for most people. Like, even if you will overwhelmingly say, like, yeah, I enjoy the show, there's still episodes in there that you're like, wow, that was pretty terrible. I don't know why they did that. So far, this season hasn't been that much of a mixed bag. It's been pretty even keel all the way through. And with this episode in particular... I spent a lot of time thinking about it. I went back and watched a couple of my favorite season two episodes in kind of comparison. And I, I think this might be my favorite episode of Discovery so far. Maybe really neck and neck for, you know, second place. Um, but overall, this was this was a really fantastic episode. I, I really, yeah, it was really great. I really just enjoyed it so much. I, I really just captured my interest and it was really fun and yet emotional and there was a lot of exploring that we did in the for the trill background stuff when we go into trill and then a lot of stuff with the crew and yeah i mean we'll get into all that but yeah it was it was really just great i i absolutely loved it yeah i i'm kind of right there with you uh it's it's up there for sure uh i i can't i have a hard time with the word favorite but it's funny you mentioned with lower decks cuz i had that same issue especially with the back half of that season right. like every new episode i was like oh this is the best one. <laughs> yeah yeah it was a serious issue with lower decks uh, and i say that as like a joke it was it's certainly not an issue that everyone is better than the last one that's what you want but uh, yeah it makes you kind of come across as a little disingenuous after like 10 episodes of like no this one's the best one <laughs> you know and they're like pick one guy it's like not my fault blame mike mcmahon i'm glad we're having this conversation because it's this episode that i declared that i was no longer going to say i this is a favorite or whatever i'm done with that because for that reason i can say it's one of my favorites okay so for example when i watched ds9 and the visitor first premiered When I saw that episode, I got so emotional from that episode that I said, oh my gosh, I think this is my favorite episode of Star Trek. And I ran with that for a long time. But then it became more of like, well, it's in my top five. Well, it's in my top ten. I don't know where. And then when I saw this episode, I was just as emotional watching this episode as I was The Visitor. And I thought, well, if The Visitor was my favorite for a while, should this be my new favorite? And I'm like, but there's so many other good ones. And I'm like, look, it's just one of my favorites. I'm no longer going to say this is my favorite discovery or my favorite of season four. It's just, it probably is my favorite of season four. That I can declare because it's only a short list. Yeah, but I even uh, tweeted out about how I compared this to The Visitor. And then all of a sudden I was getting all these likes. And then I realized because CBS, All Access, Star Trek, whatever, Twitter retweeted yeah. that. Yeah. And, and uh, I was like, okay, so 
obviously that resonates with other people. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to bring up that that tweet, Bruce. I, I saw... Now, I was late watching this episode. I usually watch it as early as I can, but uh, there were things going on and I didn't get to it <laughs> till Friday, which is weird for me. But uh, yeah, I did notice that tweet. So I had kind of a that kind of going into it, your, your very high praise for that episode. So uh, what about it specifically earned it that high praise for you or, or maybe more broadly, and we'll get into specifics as we go. Well, it's just because of the emotion. Cause when I watched the visitor, I mean, we all know about that episode. It's just that emotion of a father and son relationship and the son having to give up his father, but not being able to give up his father and his father wanting his son to move on and, and let go. And there's just so much there. And in this, it was twofold. I mean, we have a situation here with Adira and the trill and, and what, and this is a journey for Burnham too. And it's like, you know, her finding herself and her having to come with grips with her memories and dealing with someone that she loved, that she forgot about that now she's remembering, but then is a dist is gone and is a distant past, but still is here. I mean, there's so many strings that we're pulling there. And then in addition to that with the crew and what they're going through and being cut off from loved ones and, and having a situation where they can't even bond with each other because they're so distraught with their internal struggles and watching how them kind of go at each other is disturbing and it's sad. And I mean, I w I've never, <laughs> I don't cry that much and I wasn't bawling, but I had a tear going down this side and I'm like, okay, that's weird. And then I had another on this side. I'm like, okay, that's really weird. <laughs> is it raining that. in my house? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> is there a leak in the pipes or something? What's going on? Yeah. So I, I'll, let me jump on that because I would say that one of the biggest, one of the biggest complaints that people have levied against discovery over the last several years is that it's too much action, not enough focus on the cruise. And I think that they have really toned that down quite a bit, I think, in this season. Now, the first episode was, was I think, just like a jumping off point to kind of get everybody jazzed about the future. But even in the second episode, we spent a lot of time with just Saru and Tilly and them kind of working together. Third episode was, again, kind of them getting together. And then this one, they really dive into that, where almost the plot of Finding the Federation is completely secondary. That is actually the C-plot of this episode, which is to continue the exploration of uncovering that mystery. The A and the B-plots are Michael Burnham and Adira on Trill, and then Captain Suru and the crew of the Discovery. And that, I think, showcases the, the level of effort that people have given in terms of feedback to the creatives over there and their willingness to listen to the positive and constructive feedback and make those kinds of changes so that we're really getting a lot more of the things that we want, which is, we've been saying that, like, I remember, like, there was a big thing, like, at the end of season one, going into season two, like, a lot of people were saying, I don't even know the name of the majority of the people on the bridge. I don't know any of those people. And they and they actually had that sequence where Captain Pike went around and had everybody sound off their names, just as like a, like a roll call, you know, just to let us all know. But now here we are, season three, and it's it's like, we're, we know these people. And we're really attached to these people. And like you said, seeing them argue, it was like tough to watch because now we really know them and we're getting to know them even more. And I think it's great. I, I am super, I'm super glad that they decided to really tone down the, the, uh, like the craziness of the quote unquote mystery plots. And they really kind of turned it into a focus of the characters. I think we'll still wind up with a larger 
mystery plot ending kind of season finale, maybe even a cliffhanger since we already know that they're filming season four. But I think as of right now, they're slowly building up to it. I feel like they're trying to really make sure that they earn that big, whatever it's going to be at the end of episode 13 or whatever. So I, I love it. I thought they, I just, this is just a great episode. I could keep gushing about it, mm-hmm. but I'll stop for now. <laughs> but yeah, I, I've seen it said online, and I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm I'm not in the camp that says like, oh, Discovery wasn't true Star Trek. But I've I've seen a lot of people saying like, this is the most Star Trekky episode Discovery has done so far, and and in some ways, I I kind of get that. Like, it, it definitely does tone down the action. It takes a breath. It focuses on crew relationships and and the relationships among other characters and stuff. And and yeah, it really does seem to put a pause on that perception that Discovery is just all action and no character beats. So in, in that sense, I get that argument that, you know, this is the most Star Trek episode we've seen of Discovery, or at least in a, in a while kind of thing. So yeah, I, I get that for sure. But you know, it's interesting that it's also the most Star Trek because in a lot of ways it's not. In a sense, because when you think of Star Trek, you think, oh, everybody, at least our crew, everybody's getting along. And in this case, they're not. But the thing, that's what makes it so tragic, because we know everybody does love and care for each other. But there's there's tension, there's a rift going on between them because of the internal struggles that they have. But this whole episode is about broken relationships that don't need to be broken. Because even Adira not having Gray, I mean, the relationship's broke because not because Gray's gone, but just because she also doesn't remember. And then we have the relationship with Trill and the Federation that's broken too. Right. And that's just because of the circumstances. These are all solid relationships, but things just get in the way. Well, you know, and that's the thing is I feel like they really have finally cracked that nut because I think they've constantly been struggling to figure out a way of getting a modern storytelling techniques invested into the construct of the feel-good moments of Star Trek. And you're right to say, like, this isn't, like, the fighting isn't really, like, quote-unquote Star Trek, but the way that they go about it and the the rousing uh, feeling at the end when they're all watching the movie together inside of the, the cargo bay, I, that was, it, it, like, it feels like they finally figured out how to bring in their more dramatic storytelling devices and then adding into that Star Trek flavor and mashing them together. I I just think that they've really finally kind of hit a stride in some regards. And I think it should be, I think we should note that because I think that they've done it kind of a little bit in the past, but this was episode, I think they really knocked it out of the park with that formula. And I think Mm -hmm. this was always expected, at least for me, that, you know, as the seasons go, I think it will get better. I think they'll find their groove. And I feel this has proved that uh, just the you, season. You mean alone. how there's like 50 years of precedence for that and how every single series has the same problems? Yes. And if only people yeah. if only people would just take a minute and think about it. But whatever. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. I, one of the things that I really appreciated about this episode is those you know, as disturbing as they are, those arguments and and that sniping at each other, it feels very organic and it grows out of a real situation that makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, I I don't want to crap on all modern television because that's not certainly not the case, but there's so many shows where there's, you know, people scheming and plotting in workplaces and, and, you know, putting down other people to climb up themselves that seems to just come out of nowhere. And this like really felt like, okay, what happened in episode one led 
led into episode two, you know, like it just really feels organic and, and makes sense for why Kayla is acting the way she is for why Stamets and Tilly are acting the way they are. Why Georgiou's acting the way she is. I mean, that's a whole other thing, but <laughs> that's, she <laughs> hasn't know. changed at all <laughs> and we love her for it and we love her for it. <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, let's talk a little bit about this trip to Trill. And one of the things that I'm kind of realizing with this new setting and the circumstances Discovery finds herself in is that we can have exploration stories where you're exploring the galaxy, but it's familiar places because of how much things have changed all these years. And I love this this visit to one of the the planets of a main character from the past and that whole thing with the little continuity nods and stuff. Uh, the one little nitpick, because I've always got to have one little tiny okay. one, is uh, in the Deep Space Nine episode Past Tense Part 1, when they're flying to Earth, Jadzia says, oh, I was thinking the oceans could look a little more more purple if I wanted to make it feel like home. So I was expecting Trill to have a purple hue to it, but that is the minorest of nit- nitpicks. And I was like, oh, it's very blue. But anyway. You can change the settings on your TV. Yeah, so that's that. right. Just close your eyes you and imagine it being purple. There you go. Yeah. So I, I want to go ahead. You kind of touch on something and I'm going to do my best to try to articulate this thought that I have in my mind, which is. I felt like when Discovery first came out, we as Trekkies were holding the bag of the Star Trek universe in our hands, and we were looking at this Discovery show of being like, you don't, I don't think you could fit in here. I feel like a lot of people were like, this seems a little strange, like they have like the technology's weird, and it's like kind of the era is not really right, and there was a lot of like weird things about it that didn't really, like trying to fit a square peg into a round hole in some regards. But now that we're here in season three, the universe of Star Trek has now completely gone in a different direction. We are just as lost as the crew of the Discovery. So instead of, you know, looking at the Discovery from the Star Trek universe perspective, now we're sitting on the Discovery with that crew looking out into this foreign universe and we're rediscovering this galaxy together with them. If, does that make sense? I don't know if that makes sense, you know, but it's almost as if instead of mm. looking at them as though they're the foreign uh, entity into trying to get into our franchise, you know, like, get out of here. You know, I, I feel like now it's like we know these crews. We've been with them now going on three years. We know who these people are. And now we're exploring the strange unknown, even though it should be something that we do know, but we actually don't. We know we know just as much as they do, which is essentially nothing. And I feel like we're, I feel like it's created like this weird new attachment that I have to the crew because I feel exactly in the same position as they do now, as opposed to being like, I know how all this ends because I've seen, you know, the Star Trek Picard show and I know where it's all at, but now we're way beyond that. And it's like, we're, we're all foreign in this area together. So it makes it feel like we're almost a part of the crew. Does that make sense? Maybe I'm not articulating that correctly, but... No, 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 Mm -hmm. that totally makes sense because you're right. I didn't know what to expect on Trill and even Burnham said, you know, is... Or do we even get along with Trill right. at this point? We we don't know what we're going to get. And if we travel to any other planets that are Klingons or Romulans or anything, Vulcan, I don't know what the situation's going to be like. It could be good or bad. So you're right. We're going through this journey with them. It really feels like a clever thing the writers have done to get us on side now that, I, now that you've articulated it that way. It's like all of our dreams and, and what we think of as Star Trek 
they've somehow managed to tie that to Discovery and her crew. Like they're the old Star Trek coming and meeting this new universe. Right. And I'm like, wait, when did that happen? Right, right. But you're right. To, <laughs> right, exactly. It's like now they're the ones that represent the ideals of the of the franchise that we knew. And now all of us, even us as the viewer, we're the fish out of water characters. We're the ones that are mm. out of water. And it's it's actually kind of it's kind of really smart and I hope that this season pays off in a lot of good ways because this might be this might be the quote unquote growing the beard season for Discovery. They're well on their way. They're getting the stubble. They have a mustache. <laughs> you know, they're getting there. Uh but yeah, it's 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 actually kind of God, I wish we could get like Kurtzman on a show or something to talk to him about this stuff because I wonder if they thought about that. Like, how do they make it so that the discovery is actually the representing of the Star Trek ideals? And the best way to do that is put him in a place where it's so crazy that there's no other reference point other than the crew for us as Trekkies. It's really smart. I, I think it's really smart. Well, uh, let's talk about one of the the new characters. So a character we got introduced to last week, Adira. Mm -hmm. We see her story play out in this episode as they journey to Trill. I've got to say, I, I feel like Adira is becoming one of the most exciting characters for me in Star Trek. Like watching through this episode by the end, I'm kind of like thinking of Ezri Dax, that kind of whole story, but like on a whole nother level. So her dealing with everything, this, this new uh, association with all these uh, past lives and that kind of thing. I'm really excited to see there's so much potential packed into this character. I, what do you guys think of Adira as, as a character going forward from this point? It's very interesting to me because, especially with this episode, I feel like I've known this character for a long time. She doesn't feel new to me anymore because we got so much information about her, but we didn't. I know I keep contradicting myself, but the point is like, you know, as we're talking about earlier, we're on this journey with her. She's discovering who she is. She does not have certain memories that she's missing. So as she's learning about her past, we're learning it with her. And so there isn't a whole lot there that we know about her, but we've learned a lot at the same time about her as she's learning about herself. And I don't know why, but I just feel so comfortable with her, which that's the pronouns are going to change apparently, but just that discovery, like the name of the title, I just feel like I really love this character because I also think because of the age being so young, also adds a dimension to this. Like Tilly was always like the young one of the crew, but I can see at some point Tilly and Adira kind of hitting it off. And now all of a sudden Tilly is mentoring this character. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I, I would say that even in the uh, episode three introduction of the character, you know, that fun sequence between her and Stamets is where I kind of fell in love a, li a little bit with this character. Um, and I think that is in no small part due to the portrayal by the actress, uh, Blue Delbario, I believe is her, um, you know, is, is the name of the actress there. And, and I, I think that the portrayal and the way that like, it's almost like a vulnerability, but also like a toughness, like, it, like, it's like, a, like you said, like, it's like a teenager toughness where it's like, I'm strong and I don't need anybody, but also I'm definitely not strong and I kind of do need somebody, you know? And it's like this kind of like street toughness where it's like, I've had to survive on my own and I don't need nobody. But also, please, can you like hold my hand as I get to the the big pool? You know, and it's like, yeah, it, it's like that scene with Burnham where Burnham's like, "Oh, fine, do it on your own." It starts walking down the corridor, right? Right. 
and Adira catches up. Right, exactly. You know, and they play that up in a way that is not like too childish, but in a way that is, I think, still resonates and makes a lot of sense. And you can still feel that. And I, I just think that the character, I think, you know, like Dan, you said, like the character, it feels like we've known this character for a while. And I really do think that that's based off of the actress's portrayal and the writing and, and the fact that they've connected it to the construct of the trill, which we're also as Trekkies are very familiar with. So we're able to have a lot of reference points there and understanding a little bit about the character. And, and like we said before, like the fish out of water construct, we're fish out of water with her too. She's a fish out of water and she's rediscovering who basically all the memories of everybody that's inside the symbiote. So it's like this whole thing there. And yeah, I, I think the character is great. Fantastic addition. Honestly, both of the newer editions, you had book from the first few episodes, which I'm sure he'll come back. And then Adira, both editions were awesome. Really fantastic. Yeah. And we also got an introduction to another new character who uh, their story kind of took a, a different turn than I was expecting. And it turns out that Gray is a past host of the tall symbiont, which Adira now carries, but will apparently also be kind of continuing forward because Adira is seeing him in some form as well. So uh, what did you guys think about Gray and, and his introduction into uh, the story here? I'm just laughing because as you're describing that, I started thinking about how Tilly had her imaginary friend that Oh, that's right. They love a good imaginary friend on Discovery. (laughs) They love it. I didn't even connect that. That's funny. I didn't until you were just talking about it. And I thought it would be interesting if there's a scene where Adira's trying to explain Gray to Tilly. And Tilly's like, yeah, I know. I had one of those too. And she turned out to be evil. (laughs) But um, I was surprised too, because I was expecting Gray to be an actual live character that we meet on Trill. Because when they're going to Trill, I thought, okay... This is the point we're going to meet Gray right. and the symbiote's going to move over and totally different scenario than I was expecting. And I thought, okay, is this a one-time thing? But then when we get to the end of the episode and seeing Gray sitting next to Adira, it's like, okay, so again, now I'm starting to think of Stamets and Colbert, where Stamets was seeing Colbert. It's like the same things where people have <laughs> somebody that's close to them that keeps appearing that nobody else can see. It's kind of strange. But because this is a trill... And we've seen this with other past Trill, like with Dax. We know they're in connection with past hosts. So it's nice that Indira still get, gets to carry Gray along with her. I, I agree. I, I think it's... I loved the introduction because I think it was unexpected. And I, I agree. Like, I think pretty much everybody was like, oh, we're going to meet Gray on Trill. And then they're going to kind of connect. And then maybe Gray is going to join the Discovery and they're going to continue on with their adventures together with the crew. But the twist being that that's already over, which I kind of, I guess, connects back to the overall theme of this show right now, which is the critical event has already come to pass. You know, the burn, it's already come to pass. And now we're dealing with the fallout of uncovering that and dealing with that. This situation, Gray's already dead. Gray's been dead. And now we're dealing for years at this point. Um, because I think Adira had said that, that she was with the EDF for a number of years, I think, if I'm remembering episode three correctly. But there was a period of time where there was no remembering of who Grey was. And now we're now we're dealing with that. It's already happened. So now we're kind of dealing with it. And it, it's definitely thematically connected in a lot of ways. And I, I thought it was a great way to introduce that character. I don't really know. That's, I didn't really talk too much about this in my review of the episode because... I don't really know what to make of the whole situation where Adira can still see Grey 
and what that means because I don't necessarily know, and maybe you guys can, you know, kind of uh, uh, guide me on this, is I don't feel like that may necessarily be the craziest thing for a trill to be like kind of seeing, quote unquote, seeing them. I know that they're connected through like their memories and stuff like that, but have has that ever not been said? Like, has it been ever stated that, oh, we don't see our past lives in that fashion. I don't know if there's like no precedence for that or if it's something crazy different because she's a human and now this is like a new breed of of quote unquote trill. Well, there's a there's a Deep Space Nine episode in season seven, Field of Fire, where uh, Ezri kind of does a little ritual to bring forth Duran and, and he helps her in a murder investigation mm. and only she can see him. So I'm wondering if like this is like whatever whatever biological processes that does to bring him out and, and mentally visible, if if that has happened for Adira somehow without realizing because again lack of training yes the fact that she's a human etc etc it could be something like that yeah okay so there's a bit of precedence there so it could be just be Mm -hmm. a a residual from being in the pool but you're right it could be something to do with her being a bit of a hybrid i think in this situation would probably an appropriate term um i don't like the term abomination like old boy was throwing out there (laughs) in the episode uh so yeah so there's a bit of precedence there then so i that's why i say i don't really know what they're doing with that so i'm kind of like just like, okay, that's a thing, and I think we'll find out what that means later. But that you're right to say, Bruce, that there is a lot of connections with other characters on the show that have seen people, quote-unquote, seen people that other folks can't see. So maybe this will be a way for her to connect with Tilly, because Tilly would be like, yeah, I mean, I was seeing somebody for a while, and they turned out to be a bit crazy. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I also like uh, thinking about this as we're talking about Grey, uh, that this is, you know, it was presented in the press as a first transgender character and i know some of us have said well we don't want them to really play it up like you know oh you know hi i'm transgender and does everybody accept me because in the future we want to just it's just normal it's just right you know every it's nothing big and that's a that's really what they approach here there was no call out like gray shows up and says you know hi dear it's me remember i'm transgender it's there's not it's just is you know, mm-hmm. it's like there's some people that may not even realize that this actor is transgender to begin with. Right. And they haven't really addressed it at all on the show, which I think that they'll probably get into, because I think is it a deer is supposed to be non-binary and then right. gray is the tra- is supposed to be transgender. But I, I, I mentioned this in my review video where I feel like for a lot of flack as people like to give discovery for being too woke and hitting people over the head with a quote unquote woke agenda. I think that the relationships of, and I, I, I say non-conventional as, as lightly as I possibly can, and I, hopefully that does, that's not language that upsets anyone, is, you know, like the relationship between Colbert and Stamets I thought was beautifully written and very well layered out. Like it wasn't gratuitous, it wasn't cartoonish, it was played as a very serious relationship. They took it seriously in the show, and it was effective. And I feel like they did the exact same thing here, where it wasn't gratuitous, and it felt very real and very raw. Like when Grey was laying on the floor dying and Adir was like, I'll take the symbiote without even really even understanding what that means. I, I mean, I thought that was just a very raw emotional moment. And it had nothing to do with any of the sexuality preferences, the sexual preferences of anybody. It was just a raw moment between two people who love each other. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. how I took it. too. It was just it's just the emotion. It's just these two people. I wasn't viewing them in a certain way. Right. It's just the love between two people. But at the same time, I thought, but how great this is, too, that it's not about who they are 
or what they are. It's about who they are and their emotions. And, but at the same time I thought, well, how great. And I don't really see this on television much at all. I don't know if I've ever, but a non-binary character in love with a transgender character. I mean, it's like, this is something that we don't see very often and it's played so naturally and it's so beautiful because of the love between these two. And that's what it's about. It's, it's about love. You know, it's right. not about what you are. It's, it's the love between two people. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more that, yeah, just the fact, again, like you said, that it's so normal. It's so natural. It's not even called out. This character is her boyfriend and that's, that's all the, it's all the commentary you get on that basically, right. which, which is excellent. Uh, so moving on, we've, we've talked a little bit about the issues between the members of the crew and we've got Kayla and, and what's been going on with her and her, uh, very disturbing haiku <laughs> at dinner there that Saru organizes, but the impetus for that dinner is interesting and something that I want to talk about because Saru is uh, querying the computer for suggestions about, you know, how to help the crew. And we see like the sphere kind of flash up on the screen a little bit. And then the voice morphs into a very familiar voice that we've heard before. So I, I'm obviously talking about kind of what seems to be the birth of Zora the uh, AI that controls Discovery Discovery's computer in the Short Treks episode Calypso. So this is the latest in kind of a string of hints that that episode is going to somehow play into the continuity at some point. Uh, it seems we're on the road to there. So what did you guys think of uh, this introduction of what will come to be known as, I'm assuming, Zora from that episode? That's what I assume, too. I mean, the voice was the same, right? At least it sounded mm -hmm. very similar. Right. I don't think I've been able to confirm, and this may already be in the credits there, but I, I don't think I was able to confirm that it was the same voice actress, but I'm pretty sure it was. So I think that a lot of us who follow these shows as closely as we do have already theorized that the sphere data was what was that was, you know, going to be causing the morphing of the computer AI on discovery into the character of Zora. The one thing I will add as well into that melting pot of developing this new persona is the memories and the core feelings in, uh, of uh, Arium because they downloaded Arium's information into the computer of discovery as well. And I'd have to go back again and re resplice through that sequence because there were a number of different voices being heard. And I'm curious if one of those was Arium's. And I think that all three, so you have the regular computer AI, the sphere data and Arium. I think the three of those are going to merge together and make the Zora construct, which I feel like does connect back to not only the sentience of the sphere data, but, uh, you know, Saru said at the end, like, he thinks that the sphere data may be looking out for them now, as opposed to, you know, they looking out for the sphere data. And I think Arium's emotional connections to the Discovery crew may be impacting the, the personality of Zora to really protect the crew, because that would be something that Arium would want to do, obviously. And we saw a lot of that in, in her death sequence, where she tried to override her programming and do everything she could in order to stop hurting the crew. You know, so I, yeah, I think we're definitely on that road. We're on that road. But of course, then that adds to the question of is how the hell does that tie into sitting in a nebula for a thousand years? That's the big question is what the heck is that about? Mm -hmm. What is all that about? And I don't think we have an answer to that right now. 
theories, but no answer. Yeah. Well, that's interesting, too, that you said about Arium's voice, because two actresses have played Arium. Correct. And in the first season, it was Sarah Midditch, I think is her name. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's now playing a different character on the bridge. And she's mm-hmm. the actress with the long blonde hair. Yep. She could lend the voice of Arium because she's still part of the show. Yeah, absolutely. So there's there's a lot there. And, and I think that we're right on the money. I think we were everybody was pretty much right that the sphere data is what was going to cause the Zora construct to be created. Um, but now it's the question of is what about the rest of that episode? And I don't think mm-hmm. we really have a solid answer. What are your guys? I have my own theories about that, but I'm curious to hear what you guys think. What are your theories as to what what is it it means by a thousand years in a nebula? Is it a thousand years from this season or are we jumping back in time or what are you thinking? I think, Dan, you had a theory that I loved. I had a theory. I, I do, I'm, I'm not convinced of it anymore. Actually, I was never convinced of it. It was just a theory. But uh, now with some other stuff, I'm not too sure. But my, my initial theory was that like, okay, Giorgio has to be back for the Section 31 series. I think she somehow takes Discovery back in time. Mm-hmm. And leaves it in a nebula waiting for them for a thousand years and and they get their ship back at that point. There have been some comments. I think Kurtzman said the Section 31 series takes place in a surprising uh, setting, a surprising time and place or something. So I was like, okay, well, maybe, maybe I'm just the assumption that it's back in the 23rd century might be totally wrong. So that's kind of called that into question for me. But uh yeah, I'm I'm not sure at this point. Well, if the Kurtzman comment, a surprising time and place, it could just be your same theory, but instead of Georgia going back to the 23rd century, she goes back to the 24th or 25th century and abandons the ship in the nebula for the Discovery could crew. Be. So yeah, because Zora, Zora does say almost a thousand years, which could be, I, th- I think, anywhere from 800 to... right. 950 right. yeah, exactly. like who knows yeah so that's a good they point can, yeah. they, i think i think that your theory is correct i think that that hmm. i actually think that it there's actually more evidence in this episode that there's going to be a jump back utilizing the spore drive because there was a specific set of emphasis on saru saying stamets i need you to develop a way to develop an interface that doesn't involve you in order to use the spore drive. And they're talking about dark matter. And I think this dark matter construct is what's going to enable them to be able to jump in time, not just through different areas of space. The big question I have is why would Giorgio need to take the ship back? And why would the discovery crew let her do that? Because we, as we know, there's only one shuttle left in the cargo bay of the discovery so that means that did all the crew load up into the rest of the shuttles and then they left the ship and let Giorgio jump back and then you know they they turn around and there it is in the nebula where she parked it you know basically the plot of back to the future three is is that what we're going to be doing here i i don't know but why would they do that i don't know but i think that that's the most likely thing because right she just says almost a thousand years which could mean anything and they can do a, a, mm. a little like mini retcon with that thousand year thing where it's like, well, she said almost a thousand years. What we really meant to say was 823 years because that's when Giorgio jumped back and that's how long it's been sitting there. So I, I think that that's a fair assumption, I think. But Bruce, what do you what do you think is going to happen? Well, just based on what you guys are saying, I do believe that this is probably going to happen. And and to your point, why would Giorgio do this? And why would the crew abandon the ship? I just wonder if Giorgio just, she's all about power. 
And at some point she's like, you know, think of all the power I would have with this knowledge of the future and taking that back to the past. And if I could just, you know, convince the crew, you know, make the ship is about to blow up and they, they leave thinking it's going to blow up and they all leave in the shuttlecraft. And then she takes like, Nope, it's not Then <laughs> whatever goes back to the past. And that's where section 31 starts is her trying to get whatever power as she's part of section 31 because of the knowledge she has of the future. And that could be a whole nother interesting twist because that would certainly be a sequel to this series because you really can't get into section 31, understand everything she's doing unless you really watch this series because it's taking that knowledge from the future into the past. Right. And it could be a situation where she jumps into the past in order to take control of section 31 in an attempt to stop the burn from occurring because maybe they uncover mm. was it an alien species that was doing something that maybe she's going to go back and pass to try to stop them is it a situation where uh certain technologies were being developed by starfleet and she's going to try to go back in time to kind of steer them away from that to see if they can maybe it was it. section 31 that caused maybe it the was burn. section 31 right and maybe she thinks like Ooh. if i go back and i lead them i can prevent them from doing this and we can save the universe from dealing with the burn and that could be a bit of a reset and maybe the crew's like well we can't all go because that's going to contaminate the timelines too much but maybe if you go back by yourself and then hide the ship it should be better i don't know we're spitballing ideas here maybe there's a lot of plot holes in that idea but you know (laughs) there's there's something here i I think we're very close to figuring it out I, i feel like we're we're super close to understanding where this may be going, but they could pull something crazy on us. I, I mean, I, I was talking to somebody the other day where I, I was theorizing that what wouldn't it be weird if the Discovery jumped to an alternate universe and they don't even realize that they're in an alternate universe because it's so far in the future that they're not even aware of the fact that they're in a totally different universe. Could be Kelvin, could be Mirror Universe, could be something else. I don't know, but they don't. They wouldn't know yet at this point. Maybe not Mirror Universe because there would be Terran Empire stuff everywhere, but. You know what I mean? Like maybe there's some other twist that we're not even cognizant of that they're going to pull out on us by the end of the season. But I think based off of the evidence available right now, I think I think we're pretty much on the money. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and lots of interesting theories and, and ways we could go. New crazy theory that, you know, probably isn't the case, but I think predestination paradox, they send Giorgio back to prevent the burn and she's what actually causes it in the first place. That's... <laughs> I hope not, but there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, and it's always like these little bits of surprises and stuff. And this is something that's been nagging at me for a while. But, you know, when we see that Delta shield in discovery and it's got like that one third with the line going down, it's so different from any other Star Trek past and present. But I'm thinking, okay, in that time frame in the 23rd century, that's what it looked like. But then when we go to the future, we see on that, uh, space station or whatever the you know the box and stuff has that line again and it's like i don't know there's just a part of me that thinks is this the prime i know it's the prime timeline but is it just a little skewed did something happen or i don't know there's just something a little off about it. i know the visual representation of the series is just kind of a reimagining of it but there's still a piece of me that thinks when they plant little sle- seeds like burnham's mentioning the gorn or you know, whatever. There's just things that make me wonder if they're giving us little hints that this might not be quite the timeline we think it is. Well, I, I think that there's a, I mean, the visual stuff is kind of, uh, I think is subjective because it's like, okay, 
obviously they brought some of the creatives over from the Kelvin universe movies. So there's going to be some crossovers in terms of visually designs and stuff like that. And yeah, they were reimagining some of the things. So that's like, okay, maybe that's something, maybe it isn't, but I, I would say a hard line of a breadcrumb is, and they haven't resolved this yet, which is why is it that when they jumped into the future, they did not arrive at Terralisium like they were supposed to, they were supposed mm -hmm. to be at Terralisium and they were supposed to meet up with her mom and they weren't there. And when she reached out to Terralisium, they had never heard of Dr. Burnham. So yeah. I, I don't think that that's a coincidence. I don't think that that's just lines that they're just reading off and they're writing off. Right now, obviously, the mission is to be finding the Federation and getting things kind of squared away. But I think that that's something. There's a reason why they didn't arrive at the location they thought they were going to. I really do. And mm -hmm. I think that there's something going on there that they haven't revealed yet. So there's breadcrumbs. There's breadcrumbs for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Dr. Burnham thing is a really good point, too, because they made, they made an actual effort to call that out in the episode. Yep. So if they were just going to forget that storyline, I, I feel like they just wouldn't bring it up, you know, but I don't know. There's something there for sure. Yeah, for sure. And that's why I say like there's there's with the available evidence that we have now, I think our theories are pretty, pretty solid, but I feel like there's more yet to be revealed not only just about the burn but about what's going on in this universe and imagine that twist that they're actually not in the same universe that they thought maybe they're in a parallel universe and there was just something crazy with the time suit because it's just crazy time suit stuff like they just got the crystal they just made the suit they didn't they didn't know how it worked to be honest they really didn't and she was having all those problems getting it to work at the end and you know and then she did all these time jumps and stuff so who knows what's going on it's, it's interesting mm -hmm. it's very interesting well, we brought up Giorgio briefly. Uh, one other thing that I want to bring up with regards to Giorgio is just something I noticed in this episode a couple times that I'm curious to get people's takes on is her interactions with Linus. And I don't know if anybody else noticed this or I, I've seen a few people bring it up, but like at the dinner, Linus is pulling out her chair for her and handing her popcorn at the movies like what's going on here is linus smitten what what's what's happening are they are they are we shipping these two like what is happening here uh given their interaction a few episodes ago as well i never thought anything of it until i saw somebody mention it online i was like oh <laughs> i mean i just figured it's just linus is just a really nice guy and Giorgio isn't and so it's a great play of the two of them you know her having to deal with somebody who's just a nice gentleman that's all i took it for so i okay. i would say that you would be right bruce and you that may be the case but there is something that happened in the very uh, the very beginning of maybe the maybe it's the middle of the second episode where mm -hmm. Giorgio gets out of the turbo lift and um i forget who she's talking to um uh non, non yeah it was point. with non yeah and she stops linus and asks asks him about his eye eyesight capabilities or like his vision capabilities and he's like oh i can see all sorts of crazy stuff and i forget what his line is i'm paraphrasing you guys know what i'm talking about and we never resolve yeah. oh, yeah. that we never understand why she asked him that question we never understand why the two of them walked off really and what necessarily they could have been talking about. I mean, am I remembering that correctly? I feel like we didn't really get a resolution to what the heck it was that they were doing together. And since then, they've had like this really weird interaction where, like, right, like, are they friends? Are they doing something weird? Like, what are they doing? Yeah, it doesn't mean that it's a romantic relationship. It could be, but it, it could be anything. But they're definitely, there is some type of relationship. There is something going on between those two. And maybe, 
yeah, they've developed a friendship because she has Linus working on something with her. It's possible. It could be a romantic relationship, though. I, I mean, she's, I mean, she, her being from the Terran Empire, I don't think she has any qualms about just doing all sorts of weird stuff. We had that really interesting sequence in season two where she's talking about some kind of threesome, I think, between Stamets and Culver and herself. And she's open to all sorts of different things. So who knows? Maybe she's, uh, maybe she's, uh, you know, getting a little friendly with Linus. But yeah, it is interesting. There's something going on there. I don't think we know what it is yet. I don't think it's going to be like major plot revealing like, oh, yeah, he's been working on this micro universe and like uh, some kind of crazy thing. You know, I think it's just going to be something that's like, oh, that's interesting. There's some off off camera development there. Awesome. Yeah, it's just there. Yeah, there's just enough to like make people who are who are watching closely kind of go, what? What's happening there? So, yeah, I'm I'm. Nothing to really base any kind of theory on at this point. It's it's too early, but let's keep an eye on them, I think, yeah. Is, yeah. is our going forward. Oh my gosh, I figured it out. So they fall in love, but then he eventually rejects her for someone else. She gets mad and says, if I only had another chance with him, and she takes the discovery back in time so she could get Linus earlier before he meets this other person. And that's why she goes back in time and abandons the crew in the future. It's a love story. But overshoots it just by a few hundred years. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. I I would say it's even more selfish. Like there's a specific aphrodisiac she wants to have with her and Linus, and it's only in the past. So she jumps all the way back just to get it. (laughs) I love it. I love it. It's a lot of effort. (laughs) Yeah. Well, she would do that because she's... She's your show and we love her for it. So Yeah, for sure. Well, I guess uh, final thoughts on the episode Forget Me Not. So, uh, Ketwalski, why don't you uh, lead us off with just kind of your final thoughts and wrap up? Uh, final thoughts. Uh, I do want to, I know we didn't get a chance to really talk too much about it, but one of the big standout moments I think for this episode was Wilson Cruz. Always been a great character, but I really feel like he's stepping into the role of a bit of ship's counselor in some regards. And I thought that he you know, really did a fantastic job carrying a lot of the, um, like the proper emotional threads throughout the episode, especially for the discovery crew and his interactions, even with Burnham, even though it was for just a simple sequence, but yeah, Wilson Cruz did a fantastic job. I want to see more of that in the show. So hopefully there's even more. We just keep dialing that up because I think he's a great actor and I, I want to see more of that. Uh, overall final thoughts of the episode were if the rest of this season is at the same caliber of writing of this one, then I would say that at the end of all this, Star Trek Discovery has officially grown its beard and has become a successful show. So if they keep this up, they keep up this momentum, they keep up this quality, I think we've we've I think we've got a good, solid season and I think that everybody can enjoy it. So I, I look forward and I can't wait for the rest. I'm literally wish that they would just release all the episodes already so we could just binge through it because <laughs> I want to know what's going on. So I, I loved it. Yeah, really great. Awesome. Bruce? Yeah, and to your point, not just the writing, but the directing of this episode, if we have this kind of directing going forward, the editing, Mm -hmm. the whole pacing, I mean, everything about this episode to me was nearly perfect. And just little moments, I was just noticing things of the approach the director had, like, for example, Colbert and Detmer having their talk. It wasn't that they were talking in sickbay or the corridor, but just standing there in the doorway and just leaning against either side of it and just being there. Like, that's an unusual shot. We typically don't see that in Star Trek. You're either in or out. You just don't stand at the doorway and just leaning against it to people like that. Just little things like that peppered throughout with different shots I was seeing in different angles of things and, and 
if go back and watch just the way the camera works on some of these or the blocking of the actors, you'll see some really different things in there. And then also in addition to that, little things like them eating the meal together. I love that whole scene, but if the f- the food is colorful like it is in Journey to Babel, so I picked up on that. Uh, mm-hmm. And then just for example, Adira going through her whole thing. What do you call it? That that realm she's in where she's communicating with the symbiont and Burnham's there. And then when she finally gets to the point where she now can communicate and understand the symbiont inside of her, then the past hosts walk up. And I lost it at that point too, believe me. Mm-hmm. And just and if anything, I want to screenshot that. I didn't get to do that, but I wanted to see the different uniforms, really study those different <laughs> uniforms. But there's so much here. I mean, yeah, overall, I mean, perfect episode. It's one of my favorites, remember? <laughs> <laughs> and definitely my favorite of this season, even though I loved every episode so far this season. So yeah, I mean, if I had to like rate this, I would give it five out of five Trill Symbionts without a host. Wow. Yeah. Strong wow. rating. Good rating. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you guys have said. This was an incredible episode. Bruce, I'm glad you brought up that sequence with the different hosts. I was going to mention that as just, yeah, like I was getting getting really emotional at that point, of course. Then, you know, when Gray steps out from behind and it's just oh, like, yeah. oh, the water works a little bit at that point. Uh, great stuff. You know, the the what I call Starfleet uniform porn as well. <laughs> like I kind of want to check that out and, and really look at that stuff. We saw like the Picard era uniform and then some other ones mm-hmm. that we have no idea of. And, and Admiral Tall's uniform as well, his insignia. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. I want that pin now. Just a lot of fun as far as the, uh, I, I think the interactions of the discovery crew, that's something we've gotten a lot of people asking for is more featuring the crew. I think like this is the most that Kayla has ever said outside of a bridge scene talking about piloting or something like that. Yes. And she's incredible. Yep. She's a great actor. And I love seeing that interaction. And, and Burnham, I mean, sneak Martin green, I thought is really good. I mean, it, I mean, she's always been good, but just her character is, seems more her, like natural. Just, just, that she can relate to others better, you know? Well, they're writing her better, yeah. I feel like. They're mm. they're giving Sinequa more to work with as opposed to just being just, I don't want to say just drama all the time, but she was always very heavy. Mm-hmm. Everything was on her shoulders, and I think that they're really giving her an opportunity to breathe a little bit and really show off her character more. And I think that's all, you know, Sinequa, I think, is a fantastic actress, and they're giving her more to work with, and we're we're all the better for it. We're benefiting as the viewer, absolutely. Yeah. For sure. The other thing that I wanted to call out, of course, was Blue Del Barrio as Adira. I think she -hmm. has a really great arc through this episode and just the way she carries herself at the end versus the beginning. I absolutely believe this is a totally different character who's incorporating all these past lives now. And, you know, the, the imagery may be a little cliched where she comes out of the pool and is, you know, reborn. Right. But it it works. Like, I think that's a turning point for her character and it, it turns out really well here. So yeah, if I was going to rate this, I'd give it one really good piece of Droog beetle pie. So Yeah. Excellent episode. I need to get a printout of these rating systems here. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my my rating of just giving it one something really good. It basically came out of watching Lower Decks and realizing like my first few episodes are ten out of ten. Where do I go from here? So I'm like, okay, I gotta do something. <laughs> yeah, different. now we go back to one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, Kit Wolski, of course, you're going to stick around with us and we're going to, uh, talk a lot about you, uh, and your YouTube career and that sort of thing. But for those of our listeners who maybe are just listening to this episode, where can people find you online and follow what it is that you do? Uh, yeah, you can definitely find me on YouTube. Uh, you can just go on there and it's just youtube.com forward slash Kit Wolski. You'll be able to find the channel there. I'm over on Twitter as well, um, at Real Ketwalski, and I have a Facebook group as well, and uh, email, uh, if you guys want to hit me up on email, it's just ketwalski at gmail.com, you can message me stuff, and I always try to respond back to people whenever I can, so if you got questions or comments or feedback from me, or we want to talk about Star Trek, just hit me up, and, and uh, if I have the opportunity to get, get back with you, I absolutely will, I uh, don't take it personally if I don't, I just get a lot of messages throughout the day, and uh, you know, it keeps me busy, but uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, to hearing from folks and feedback from this this podcast. And, and yeah, I look forward to talking more about Star Trek. Awesome. And Bruce, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And uh, on this show, uh, <laughs> I used to have a whole list of things and then I cut back and now I'm always like, wait, what am I forgetting? But I will mention occasionally on the Star Wars Report podcast, which Dan just recently joined me and we We've gotten some good feedback on that show. Ooh, okay. Excellent. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, too. So thanks for having me on there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. Just Star Trek backwards. Uh, YouTube.com slash Kurtrats Productions, where I make YouTube videos. And, uh, of course, check out the show on Twitter at Positively Trek. And search Positively Trek on Facebook. Join our Facebook group. A lot of fun. We have a lot of great discussions there. Uh, so, yeah, we'd love to see you there. Well, thank you all so much for listening this week. And uh, until our next episode, stay positive. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.